بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والنجم إذا هوى ما ضل صاحبكم وما بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا وحبيبنا ونبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد Alhamdulillah through the grace and the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we are studying this new series in the new place and it is a very important series that we are inshallah going to be studying what is Islam and we go into the teachings of Islam what is how to be a Muslim but me, myself, am I really behaving like a Muslim? Am I living like a Muslim? Am I dealing like a Muslim? And this book is written by Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah. And of course, that no name says everything. Because the name of author is such a famous, well-known name when it comes to hadith. And this is a book of hadith. When it comes to the hadith, it's such a famous name that no person ha would dare to challenge that name. When we say Imam Bukhari narrated it, that's it. That's the final word. Imam Bukhari rahimahullah when he was writing his book Sahih al-Bukhari in those days his book was just a new era studying of the uh, compilation of hadith until that point the time of Imam Bukhari rahimahullah, people used to collect all the ahadith without dividing them into chapters, without worrying too much about the authenticity of it. Just collect every hadith that you can get your hand onto so that at least this collection of the hadith will be passed on to the next generations. That was their intention. Then they keep on looking at it, the scholars who would take the books, they will look at it, at the chain, and find out if it was authentic, non-authentic, reliable, not reliable. Then the scholars will take it from that point, that point of, uh, 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 and uh, they will start examining all the chains and the words of the hadith. So they left it to the scholars to do that work later on. Imam Bukhari rahimahullah realized that there is enough collection now of the hadith that we can say, alhamdulillah, that Overall, the ahadith of Rasulullah now are being preserved. Now is the time to start differentiating between authentic and non-authentic. 
Of course, there were other scholars that were doing that work too. Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim are colleagues. And Imam Muslim was doing the same work. There were other scholars at that time who were doing very similar type of work. Imam Bukhari rahimahullah, when he saw what other scholars were doing, he wanted to take this to a totally different level. He set a category of authenticity so high that initially it seemed impossible to have any information that would fall under this category. We're talking about a very, very high level of authentication so that we can understand what this level means. We have six books of a hadith that are called Sahih Sitta. Then we have many other books of a hadith. There are many books of a hadith that are not as authentic as Sahih Sitta. And they have mixed hadith, a hadith in them. Some of them are authentic, some of them are not authentic. If we take the level of those books of hadith. If we take the level of not Bukhari and Muslim, not a Sahih Sitta, we go below that. Those books that have both type of hadith, authentic and non-authentic hadith in them. Okay, we take that level. And from that point of view, if we want to collect Considering the third level that I just mentioned of authentication, we will not be able to find any information that would fit into that category. We will have to get rid of all the books of history and sorry to say, all the books that are written about religions. None of those books will fit the third criteria. Then we go above that, go to the second criteria, and that is the criteria of the scholars that are on the level of Sitta beside Bukhari and Muslim. And then you go at the level of Imam Bukhari, so it seemed like impossible. What information are you going to bring to this high level of authenticity? But subhanAllah, Imam Bukhari rahimahullah succeeded in his goal and he wrote this whole book, Sahih al-Bukhari. When we look at the work of Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, he basically wrote three types of books. Not three books, three types of books. One was for those who specialized in the field of hadith, on the high level in the field of hadith, which means a normal scholar, a normal muhaddis, will not be able to touch that level. At-Tariq al-Kabir, written by Imam Bukhari rahimahullah, before he wrote Sahih al-Bukhari, that is of that caliber. That it is for muhaddisin only. Even a normal scholar, when he would read that, he will not understand the application of a lot of things that he would read in that book of how do I apply it. Let me give you an example. Imam Bukhari, he was 11 years old. 
At that time, he was just attending small classes in the masjid where people would be teaching basics of Islam, we can say. So he had memorized Quran, he learned the Qiraat, and now Imam Bukhari rahimahullah is spending time to learn the basics of Islam. And this was the normal way of learning Islam in those days, that you go to a masjid, there will be halaqa of hadith, halaqa of tafsir, halaqa of uh, uh, Arabic sciences, and then there are different halaqat of hafz and qiraat, so different halaqat in the masjid, and people would join these halaqat according to the science that they would like to learn and uh, join. So now, there are halaqat for young children. And this was, although it may take us off topic, but this was must in those days. For every child to join these halaqat. If there was a child who would not go to these halaqat that were in the masajid, that simply means the child was lost. In those days, every adult had gone through this process of learning deen in the masjid, in the masajid, from teachers that were specialized in those fields. And then, as they grow up, then they can choose any other fields of life for themselves, become a businessman or do something else. Not all of them, of course, will become scholars, but in reality, if we look at how much they used to learn at that young age, maybe more than what a scholar would know in our time. So anyway, Imam Bukhari is well-known muhaddis of his time. Imam Dhuhali rahimahullah, and he's sitting on a stage, all the students in front of him, and he's narrating a hadith. Haddasana Abu Zubair an Sufyan, and then he goes with the chain of the narrators, and this young boy stands up and he raises his hand. 11 years old. So, his teacher paused for a minute and asked him, Yes, son, what do you need? He said, there is a correction here. So he looked at him surprisingly. He said, correction? He said, yes. He said, that's fine. But if I can just tell you what I have noticed here, a correction that is needed, and then you can look at it yourself. He said, okay, tell me what it is. He says, you said, Haddasana Abu Zubayr and Sufyan. Abu Zubayr have not met Sufyan. There was another narrator whose name was Az-Zubayr. He is the one who narrates on the authority of Sufyan, not Abu Zubayr. Abu Zubayr is another narrator who never met Sufyan. The teacher said to the students, wait, let me go and check my books. He went home, checked his books, came back. He said, son, then tell me the correct version of the chain of narrators. And Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, at that 11 years old age, he narrates the full chain of narrators. The teacher realized that this is a special person here. Because what he was narrating was exactly the way it's supposed to be. Now, knowing which narrator met who, this is not a simple science. So this is why I said, Tariq al-Kabir, a person like me would read it, like any scholar would read it, and I will read, okay, this person narrates on the authority of this, and then he narrates on the authority of this. But we won't be able to figure out that would this, can this person read on the authority of this person or not. 
That means a speciality in that field. So there are books of Imam Bukhari that are specifically for scholars. Or, or we can say specifically for muhaddisin who are on the high level of being a muhaddis. Then there are books of Imam Bukhari that are mainly for scholars. And that is, you can say, Sahih al-Bukhari. The information that Imam Bukhari has in Sahih al-Bukhari, of course, one is, is in the chain that he narrates. And the other is the words of the hadith that he cho chooses for mentioning it and reading it in his book. That's a very, very deep science. Of course, we read it as, okay, this hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari, and I read the hadith or I read the translation of it. This is not the end of it really. Imam Bukhari rahimahullah, the words that he selects of this hadith has a lot of importance. Because sometimes the same hadith may be narrated with four different versions, which means little change in the wording. Some of them have some addition, some of them have little less than what Imam Bukhari is narrating. And he specifically chooses those words to tell us something about those wordings specifically and why I didn't choose the other ones. Sometimes he even indicates to that at the end of the hadith, he will narrate another chain and all he will say that this narration is narrated by another scholar who said this. And he will end it there. Now you keep on finding out what does he refer to and what does he mean. Deeper than this is when Imam Bukhari rahimahullah mentions the name of the chapter. This is the name of the chapter. It's the deepest signs that the scholars say they could find compiled in any book that was written in the, Islam, in the history of Islam. Deepest signs, they say, written in any book that we find in the history of Islam is the title of the chapter that Imam Bukhari rahimahullah mentions in his book. Anyway, that was only so we can understand the different types of books of a hadith that he wrote. The third type, the third category of the books of a hadith that Imam Bukhari rahimahullah wrote is the one that he wrote for general public. And good example of that is this book that inshallah that we will be studying. He named it Al-Adabul Mufrat. What does it mean? Adab is Adab. So it tells us the book is about Adab. What does Al-Mufrat mean? Imam Bukhari rahimahullah, when he was writing his book, Sahih al-Bukhari, there is a chapter in Sahih al-Bukhari about Babul Adab, Kitabul Adab, that the chapter on Adab in which he narrates certain hadith about Adab. When he started collecting those hadith about Adab, of course, as we said, for Sahih al-Bukhari, he has set such a criteria that would be the highest level of authenticity. Which does not mean that if anything less than that level, the hadith will not be accepted. Yes, according to him, Muslim is accepted, Tirmizi is accepted, Abu Dawood is accepted, but he's just trying to set that criteria. And this is why part of the name of his book, Al-Mukhtasar, min hadithi Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Al-Jami' al-Mukhtasar, which means the short collection 
of the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi So he says this is a very short collection of it, but I'm just collecting a hadith that will be on certain category. Even out of that category, as we read uh, about him, that he used to do istikhara because there were a lot of hadith that would fit that category. So then he would do istikhara and then if he would feel like writing that hadith in his book, then he would write the hadith in his book. And this way he came up with 7,200 and some hadith. So now when he's writing Kitab al-Adab, there's so many hadiths that he wanted people to follow. When it comes to Adab, that we should learn about them, we should know about them. But he cannot bring them in his book, Sahih al-Bukhari, because they are not of that criteria for sure. So then, he said, I'm going to separately write another book. That will be just on Adab. And... You can say now on the side, he's making all of his notes for that book. So Al-Adab, which means it's about Adab, manners, behaviors. Al-Mufrad, which means the one that has been separated from Bukhari. Fard is one, some, someone who's all by himself. Al-Mufrad, which means the one that has been separated from Sahih al-Bukhari. So while he's writing that book, he separated this and wrote it as a separate book just on Adab. And this is basically what that book Al-Adab Al-Mufrad is all about. It is the first book, the first book that we know about, written about building an Islamic personality. How should a Muslim behave in every aspect of his life? And he starts with respecting parents. And we will talk about the reason for that. Then he brings ayat and a hadith about respecting parents and then he goes from move forward from there on. But it's an amazing, amazing collection of hadith where you can say that every other a person need to know on sitting, talking to each other, when you are happy, when you are upset, dealing with your wife, dealing with your children, dealing with your neighbors, dealing with your friends, dealing with your enemies. Every thing that we need about my personal life, my mannerism, how should I behave, how should I deal with the situation, he brings the hadith about that in this book, Al-Adab Al-Mufrad. There are books in this, there are hadiths in this book, Al-Adab Al-Mufrad, that of course, scholars will consider to be da'if. And this is a good time to understand what does da'if means when it comes to hadith. There is many different categories of hadith. For some reason, because of not many people not studying the science of hadith, not studying ilmul hadith, we take sahih and da'if as literal meaning from the dictionary that would apply to a hadith. So sahih means correct, da'if means weak, and then our understanding is, if it is da'if, that simply means just reject it. But this book of Imam Bukhari rahimahullah tells us something different. He is collecting a hadith that he himself in a tarikh al-kabir will consider them to be da'if. But he narrates them over here. And that is because scholars have different criteria, muhaddisin have different criteria why would they brand a hadith as da'if? 
We need to understand the word da'if is not a word from a dictionary. Just like the word salah. We don't apply it as a word from a dictionary to our prayer. There are people who made that mistake and then they took it to another level that salah means just pray and then as long as you raise your hand and you pray and you got your salah done. And they rejected all the hadith about salah. These are terminologies that have been borrowed from the language. The word iman, the word islam, the word ihsan, the word salah, hajj, fasting, all the ibadat. All of these are terminologies that we use. For example, Of course, the application is totally different. Their salah is different than our salah. When they say, I perform my salah, it will be totally different salah than the salah. We will call it a salah and our sharia will call it salah. So this is a terminology. Same thing, hadith sahih is a terminology. Hadith da'if is a terminology. What happens sometimes is that you would find a long hadith. All the hadith scholars unanimously will brand that hadith to be da'if. But surprisingly, you would find all of them are mentioning it in their books. The reason behind it may be, and I'm just mentioning some reasons so we can understand the terminology here, that with this chain of narrator, this hadith is da'if. But there are five different hadith that are shorter hadith. Each of them have one point from this hadith. So, these five hadiths together, they have exactly the message of this hadith that is da'if. So the message is really authentic. With this chain is da'if. So rather than narrating five hadiths, they narrate one hadith and they brand it as da'if, but they will tell us sometime, many times they will tell us that this hadith has been narrated by this, 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 this scholar. So refer it to there, you will find the authentic chain for it, for example. For example, Imam Tirmizi rahimahullah, he will bring a hadith. And mo many times he brings a hadith that is not very authentic. Then he will say, There are other uh, sahaba who narrated this hadith. So he's telling us, refer to those hadith, you will find the authentic chain for this one too. Sometimes, the message of the hadith is da'if, but the wording of the hadith is da'if, the message is not da'if. The wordings is da'if, the message of not, is not da'if. For example, ask any scholar, what does he say about the hadith, Ashabi kan nujum? My sahaba are like stars. And every scholar will say, unanimously, they all agree, the hadith is da'if. Generally, we'll find a lot of scholars reading this hadith in their books. Why? The message is authentic. How do we know the message is authentic? This is what of course Muhaddisin themselves, themselves told us, that there is a hadith in Sahih Muslim. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, sama. The stars are a protection for the ones, for those who are in heavens. When the stars are gone, then there will be destruction in heavens. I'm a protection for my people. When I'm gone, fitnas will open up. My sahaba are protection for those who would come after them. Once they are gone, then the other ones that would come after them, they will, they will face destruction. So now, 
just like he says, stars are a protection, their sahaba are a protection over here. So he's saying, my sahaba are like stars over here, just stars are protection. From that sahaba, scholars, muhaddisin themselves tell us that this hadith, this one is authentic. But the wording, ashabi kanujum is not authentic. The message is authentic, that my sahaba are like stars. That message is authentic. So sometimes that is the case. Sometimes the hadith with its own wording, it's authentic. But the chain this scholar chose to narrate in his book is not authentic. So the same hadith is narrated with other chains also. So there are many different reasons why a hadith will be considered as da'if. Then sometime what happens is, there is a hadith that is labeled as da'if. But then they have different levels of da'if. How weak the hadith is. And the Imam Nawawi, Hafiz ibn Hajar, and all those scholars say, that if it is not too weak, then we can accept it for things that are already proven, not for proving new ahkam, but things that are already proven. For example, that the wudu, the hukum of wudu is proven. And there is a weak hadith that tells us some virtue of wudu. So okay, is not giving us something new hukum, that now if you do uh, wudu is sunnah or mustahab or makru, it will just give you some virtue of it. Okay, that's fine. If it is not extremely weak, then you can accept that type of da'if also uh, in, when it comes to fada'il, when it comes to these type of virtues, as long as the ruling itself has been established with sahih hadith or from Quran al-Kareem. So anyway, there are different, a lot of, it's a very deep science and many different ways of looking at the authenticity of hadith. So this is why Imam Bukhari rahimahullah chose some of the hadith that we may look at them as da'if hadith, but he knows that it is something to be practiced the hukum is already established, and this is adab, this is manners, and if with this type of chain, adab and manners are acceptable, so therefore he's narrating those hadiths in his book. Anyway, as I said, the book, the whole book is about akhlaq, about mannerism, about behaviors. And as we know, that this is one of the most important topic of our deen. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, most of the time when he was sitting with Sahaba Ridwanullahi you don't hear him talking about fard, halal and haram. He's talking about akhlaq, manners, about adab, respect, how to behave with each other, how to deal with each other, how to respect each other. So much so that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made sure Every Sahabi lives in such a manner that he will not be hurting anyone else around him. Just think about it. When Rasulullah is sitting and he's talking to the Sahaba, we take it as okay, hadith that is teaching us about adab. But now take it from that aspect of Rasulullah sitting and he's teaching the Sahaba and he's saying to Sahaba Ridwanullahi alayhim ajma'een, La yu'minu ahadukum, hatta yuhibba li akhihi ma yuhibbu li nafsi. No one can be a believer until he loves for his brother whatever he loves for himself. Now Sahaba, after they leave that gathering, what do you think their behavior would be? It, it will be just total change in their behavior. That okay, I love for myself to have this food, I'm going to share it with someone else. 
I'm gonna give it to someone else. I love this thing for myself, I'm gonna like it for other people too. So subhanAllah, look at the application in Sahaba's life, how this thing must have been changing their lives and every instruction that came in that, uh, for, uh, about these akhlaq from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Same thing, for example, when they heard from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Al-Muslimu, man salim al-Muslimuna min lisanihi wa yadihi. Muslim is a person from whose hand and tongue other Muslims are saved. Now just think about how Sahaba must have taken this when especially the Prophet of Allah who's sitting amongst them and is defining Muslim to them. He's telling them that if you want to be a Muslim, then other people have to be saved from your hand and your tongue. If people are not saved from your hand and your tongue, you are not a Muslim. Which Sahabi would dare after this to go and hurt someone and say a word that will hurt other people. Man salim al-Muslimuna min lisani wit, that's it. For them, they're hearing it directly from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, these teachings of akhlaq from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam were not some extra. We take it as an extra. Okay, I'm going to learn the fara'id here, but then these are extra things. If we get chance, we will learn. No, this is part of being Muslim. These things are part of being Muslim. How would I know? How would I protect myself from hurting people? Simple thing. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he said that, إِمَاتَةُ الْأَذَى عَنِ الطَّرِيقِ صَدَقَةً Removing any harmful object from people's way is a sadaqah. So he's telling us how to behave as a Muslim that, you know, not only don't hurt them, but if you see anything that may hurt someone, you need to remove it, take it away. Help that person. Help the other people. So, this akhlaq is part of our iman in reality. If we look at the teachings of our deen, you will see that our iman is a tree and there is a branch of it. One branch of the same tree is ibadat and the other branch of the same tree is akhlaq and adab. It's the branch of the same tree, iman. And just so that we see how really this is in fact branch of iman. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, La imana liman la amanatala. Look at the wording now. La imana liman la amanatala. A person who cannot be trustworthy has no iman. He's not saying he is a sinner. He's not saying he's fasir. He is a major sinner. He is, don't allow him in the masjid. He says, a person who is not trustworthy has no iman. Where did he take trustworthiness? To the level of iman. Al-haya'u shu'batum min al-iman. Haya, modesty, is a branch of iman. See? So we see that he is combining the iman and akhlaq. Majority of time, the problems that we have within our societies and we all complain about. Some people take only ibadat in their lives and they don't care about akhlaq at all. And everyone starts complaining. See, he's a haji and he's always in the masjid and he's he fasted and every Ramadan he does atikaf and then he cheated me. So look at it. Look, these ibadat are not doing anything. On the other hand, you talk to someone coming to the masjid or something like this and says, Brother, I don't cheat people. I don't lie at anyone. I don't have time to pray. I'm busy with my work. Alhamdulillah, I'm a good Muslim. I don't cheat anyone. See, according to him, he's a good Muslim. 
But our Sharia is telling us that when a person is taking this side and that side, both, and balancing both, when we balance both sides, that is our true deen. Deen doesn't say become very dry, ibadah only, don't talk to people, don't mix with people. And when anyone, when anyone looks at you, they shouldn't see no smile on your face because you are a great abid. You are supposed to be doing only zikr and Quran and tilawah and tikaf. So now no smile. So people will realize how great of a sheikh you are. So really it it's almost looks like in order for a person to become a sheikh, he has to stop laughing and smiling and joking. And this, because people adopted that method, so it scared a lot of people away from Islam. Some people say, you know, I'm not ready. Not ready for what? They have that picture. I'm not ready to become like that. It's balancing. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. They say they have never seen anyone more smiley than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Jareed ibn Abdullah radiallahu says, every time Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam looked at me, he smiled to me. Sahaba say we haven't seen anyone who will be more smiling, smiling more than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he tells us smiling to others is a sadaqah. And then you see him joking with Sahaba. Joking with Sahaba. Can you imagine someone standing in a masjid? And now, just I want you to uh, picture that scene now, that the imam of the masjid or sheikh or someone that you consider big, he goes behind from behind the per person and he holds his eyes and he covers his eyes, trying to make him figure out who's holding my eyes. He will say, imam is today in a different mood. He's not in the mood of being imam anymore. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa did it with sahabi. A sahabi standing at a shopping place, at a store, and Prophet goes from behind him and he holds him like this. And the person says, let me go, who is it? Let me go, let me go. And then the person realized that this is like Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So, you see that type, and as we go through the book, you will see so many of those examples. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, mashallah, with Sahaba, he's just, in fact, one amazing thing we find in the life of Sahaba, in the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that when he's with children, read the hadith, you will see. When he's with his children, when he's with children, he's like children. He's playing with them. Just like you would say a child is playing with children. So he's not trying to keep himself on a higher level with children. He even bends down and tells his grandson, sit on my back. And a sahabi sees him, he says, Ya Rasulullah, this boy is sitting on a very good right. So Rasulullah said, the one is riding is good too. So he's playing with children. And then you see Rasulullah with youngsters, he's at their level. With elderly people, he's behaving like them. And he's talking to them according to their level. So all people feel that he fits in our criteria, in our category. So they are, they all open up with him. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, akhlaq and ibadat. This is, we need to combine them and we need to balance them. Our life of enjoyment shouldn't take us away from deen, shouldn't make us disobey Allah, shouldn't make us miss our prayers, our ibadat, and fall into sin, and 
our ibadat shouldn't make us so dry that people will just try to run away from us and no one would like to be around us anymore. We should balance both of these. you any smiles. Sometimes people get upset. What are you laughing at? Rasulullah taught us that when you see someone who is smiling, what are you, what your reaction is supposed to be? He said, make dua. May Allah make your teeth always smiling. He's making dua for the person. Inshallah, I see you smile all the time. May Allah keep you smiling all the time. He likes those people. This is why he's making dua for them. So, akhlaq is part of our deen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Qur'an, Khudil afwa, hold firmly onto forgiving. Wa'mur bil'urfi, and always enjoin good. Wa'arid anil jahileen, and turn, keep, keep on going away from the ignorant people. Ignore the ignorant people. Today, in today's modern world that we see, we are very advanced and educated and we have every good name that we can find for our souls, but big uh, boards will say, don't settle for less. Don't settle for less. Islam, the beauty of it is, always makes us look at our responsibilities. This is akhlaq. Look at your responsibilities. And today's world, everyone is teaching us to look at your rights. And this is why people are just standing, rights of children, rights of students, rights of teachers, rights of employees. It's all demanding rights. Rasulullah sallallahu says, don't look at rights. For that you let go as much as you can. Look at your responsibilities and fulfill them in the best manner you can. This is akhlaq. Really, this is truly akhlaq. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's first introduction, first introduction to those who were living around him at that time, and later on they started accusing him. But the first introduction of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to them was As-Sadiq al-Ameen, the most truthful and the most trustworthy person. They had no questions about his truthfulness and his trustworthiness. This is akhlaq. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presented him to the world through his akhlaq first. And then he presented his teachings to the world. And now you have no way of rejecting it. So akhlaq are part of our deen. And it is not an additional thing, extra thing. It is not nafil. is one of the most important topic of our deen that every Muslim should learn. And we need to learn it. We need to teach it to our children. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he taught sahaba, how to clean themselves in the bathroom. He said, إِنَّمَا أَنَا لَكُمْ كَالْوَالِدِ أُعَلِّمُكُمْ I'm to you like a father, I teach you everything. Same way, that is simply telling us, at least if we are not teaching the world, as he was teaching the world, and he's saying, I'm to all of you like a father, at least as fathers, we need to make sure our children know these adab. They know how to behave. They know the adab of the masjid. They know the adab of elders. They know the adab of their relatives. They know the adab of the walking on the street, of being in a gathering, of being alone, of talking, everything. We need to teach them all of these adab. Inshallah, we will start with this. Uh, Inshallah, next week we will start the book. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
allow us to benefit from these ahadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and allow all of us to adopt these beautiful teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and as we study this book another point to keep in mind just as much as this book is about adab and akhlaq it's really the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam too because this was his lifestyle whatever we learn about adab this was his lifestyle this is how he used to behave and this is what sahaba saw in him and this is what sahaba ridwanullah he taught sahaba also so that will also allow us to follow these as a sunnahs of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam so inshallah as we learn them we will be adopting more of the sunnahs sunnahs that we never even know that they are sunnahs for example when i meet someone and i say salam to me i'm only respecting the brother in reality i'm really following the sunnah of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam on how to respect my brother May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to benefit and open the doors of accepting hidayah from these ahadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and bringing it into our lives. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khairi khalqi, Sayyidina wa Habibina wa Nabiina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Ameen ya rabbil alameen. Mawla ya salli wa sallim daliman wa abadan ala habibika khairi.